Welcome back to the Pre-Match Pine, a podcast brought to you by Luke James, Dan Lockwood and Callum Ierson. However, for today's proceedings, we've gone with a double pivot in midfield. We've dropped Dan and today it's just me and Callum. So Callum, how are you doing on this fine Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. Um, I've been watching a bit of a French football today, which has been interesting because they've actually got fans back. I didn't realise that. I didn't. Re- uh, so that was, it was quite actually nice to see fans back in the stadium, even though it's very limited brought some atmosphere back to the games and I mean football's good anytime you watch it I watch literally anything so yeah it's been good how are you not too bad um on that note I, I've not actually watched any football this week I don't think I've kind of had a week off which must be kind of bad news um but again I saw a clip of Camavinga's goal yesterday for Wren and I was amazed by the number of people kind of in the stands it was like one every three seats which was quite interesting to see and kind of going forwards. Obviously, they had the test event at Brighton versus Chelsea this weekend. Going forwards, it'll be interesting to see how many fans they can bring back um, and how much of a risk they're willing to take with that. Because obviously, in the aftermath of Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid, and you had the Atalanta game as well that took place in Italy. I can't remember who they played against. You had quite a lot of backlash with that afterwards. So I think the government and national governing bodies are going to be really, really reluctant to have any fans back in at all, let alone kind of many or away fans. But it's encouraging to see kind of across Europe more and more people back into Stadia. Um, I normally ask you, what's caught your attention this week, Callum? Well, apart from the very obvious, which I think we're going to go into in a minute, um, obviously, Uh, away from football, um, kind of like a wider matter. Obviously, in America, we had the Black Lives Matter movement spilling over into uh, sport for for the first time in a major way. And to be honest, I tweeted this out. I said, I've always actually really liked basketball, but at the moment, uh, I love basketball because they've really led that movement out there. And the team that I follow quite closely in the LA Lakers, LeBron James has been really vocal. And it's been widely reported, and especially in The Athletic, that LeBron James has been leading the movement amongst the players and even got former president of the United States, Barack Obama, involved in order to uh, give some advice to the players. So, yeah, uh, thoughts to everyone out in America and thoughts uh, and we'll just give our uh, appreciation to that movement because it's doing great things in the world that need to be done. Yeah, I spoke about this on the politics podcast that I do as well, literally just recorded it. And what I said as well was it was striking how quickly it spilled over from, obviously it was the Milwaukee Bucks who started it, and then you had teams in MLS, in NWSL, and kind of in the baseball MLB as well, who also kind of boycotted their games. And that was so, so interesting to see how quickly it spread kind of across the United States. Um, And also into Canada once the NHL kind of followed the next day. What was striking as well is the day after um, Real Salt Lake's fixture was um, cancelled because of the strikes, the owner, Delroy Hansen, basically said, well, in wake of what's happened, I'm not really sure if I'm, I want to continue to invest in the team. And that's received huge criticism in the United States and Canada. And there's been some previous comments that have kind of been pulled up about him as well. And there's, there's a real kind of move, especially in MLS, but also in obviously basketball as well, towards player power. And one of the most outspoken people on this is Jersey Altidore, who basically said, well, if he doesn't want to support his team, then we'll, we'll buy him out of the league, essentially. And a comment that I listened to on kind of one of the US politics podcasts I listened to basically said, well, we're seeing sports athletes, sports stars emerge as the new civil rights activists. And 
that's quite an interesting development considering how long we've seen athletes completely shy away from these topics. So I think, yeah, that's that's great to see and something that I hope to see continue in the future. Um, Callum, the topic that you obviously are desperate to talk about is Lewis Hamilton winning the Grand Prix again. <laughs> um, outside of that, we should probably talk about this Argentinian footballer who wants to move from Barcelona. Lionel Messi currently want away at the new Camp. There's been an ongoing tussle between Messi and Barcelona. What have you made of the whole saga? Well, I mean, first of all, it, it's a it's a massive shock that this time, obviously, Messi has put in many transfer transfer requests in inverted commas before, um, which is always seen a change in a club, whether it be president or he gets bigger contracts. But this time, it's a massive shock that he really wants to go. I don't think any of us would have ever imagined a Barcelona team without Lionel Messi, unless obviously he retired. But it's huge and to be honest i think it's a complete mess the way that it's being dealt with out there i think when one of your club's heroes and probably one of like the best player in my opinion in any time period in football wants to leave your club for everything he's done for your club do it graciously i, I know it's going to hurt to lose him but do it with some grace don't don't completely shut him out and say your decision's not happening because you're going to anger the fans, which we've obviously seen. We've obviously seen protests outside the new Camp, um, probably aimed towards uh, Bartomeu. I don't know how you say his name properly, but uh, the Barcelona president. Um, and he's just not dealing it with it well at all. And it just reeks of him trying to save his own back, which, I mean, I think it's a, bit, a little bit too far gone for him to save his job at this rate. Yeah, um, the Messi situation is is quite ridiculous. The first thing I'd say is I really hate this narrative about about Messi is of oh poor Lionel Messi who really wants to leave Barcelona should just let him go for free. Um, the kind of the, the legal situation regarding his contract is obviously something to be disputed over, and whether or not he is kind of committed to use the break clause is neither here nor there. Um, I just kind of hate this idea that Messi is like so hard done by and that kind of Barcelona are just kind of being disgusting to him. Like I think if Messi wants to leave and the courts find that he's not able to use the break clause, then well, someone's going to have to buy him is, is a footballer. He's under contract until the end of the season. Um, but this is really damaging both for Barcelona and potentially for Messi as well, because throughout his career, Messi has always had this kind of hovier than thou kind of, image he's never really been in with big PR campaigns he's never really done huge amounts of sponsorships he's not really big in terms of interviews and this kind of stuff he's Lionel Messi's figure Lionel Messi's kind of image is built off of the fact he's the world's best footballer it's it's not really premised on anything other than that and you had this situation today we're recording the podcast on Sunday afternoon where a, a young supporter kind of stood outside the training ground um waiting for Messi to appear Messi didn't appear and then magically, as if by kind of accident, pictures emerge of the child crying because Messi didn't turn up for training. Um, I'm not laughing at the kid crying, by the way. I'm laughing at the fact that they've stuck someone there to get this narrative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the thing is, we've seen this with Barcelona already, where they didn't, of course, the, the club denied this, but reports suggested that Barcelona had this PR campaign against Messi and against several of their star players earlier this calendar year. And now again, you have kind of a club photographer or a photographer standing outside the training ground hoping to find a crying child. Um, it's just a little bit ridiculous. And I don't think Messi is going to walk out of this looking 
particularly bad is not gonna receive massive reputational damage but it could be massively bad for barcelona because so much of the sponsorship revenue is premised on the fact that Lionel messi is their star player and you look at that Bar barcelona squad without messi and it's quite hard to look at and say okay well yeah this is why they receive x number of million a year from qatar airways or whoever sponsors them um and that becomes quite a problematic situation for the club on the other end of the spectrum do you think the contract that messi had agitated for with regards to the wage is part of the reason why this whole situation has come about because his contract is so high that barcelona can't afford to spend lots of money elsewhere and therefore barcelona get progressively worse messi gets more progressively fed up and then messi wants to leave is it kind of partly Messi's fault? Um, I mean, I, I don't, I, I see what you mean about Messi being like the holy figure in football, but there is a certain part of me that as much as Messi is seen as like kind of this saintly player, there is a little bit of a shit house in him. Like he hasn't got to the highest level in football without having a little bit of a arrogance about him. And I mean, I think a contract where you're close to one million pound per week or whatever it is, is absolutely outrageous. Like, no club should be, be able to pay that amount of money. And, yeah, I mean, why it probably has led to Barcelona's downfall because, obviously, they, they can go out and they've got so much finance behind them. But going out and trying to buy players when you've got a £1 million wage on your books anyway is, is massively hard. Um, so, yeah, for me, as I, I think... I've, I personally would get rid of him because I'm always of the opinion if a player doesn't want to play for your club, get rid. You don't want a bad egg in your team anyway. But especially if if it looks like Messi is going to sit out a season or not really if he's playing, walk around like he did against Bayern Munich, um, you're better off negotiating a price rather than either losing it on a free next year or losing him on a free this year if he decides to go against Barcelona and... Uh, sticks to the clause in his contracts that he thinks is um, being able to activate a clause that means he can leave on a free. For, for me, I think Barcelona, they're in a desperate need of a rebuild. And the best way to rebuild is obviously getting cash in. So if they've already let Luis Suarez go supposedly on a free, I mean, cash in on Lionel Messi as soon as you can, in my opinion. Uh, it's Yeah, it's, it's a baffling decision from everyone in that, uh, around that club, to be honest. The thing as well with letting Messi go, and of course it's it's early in this transfer situation, I feel like this is going to rumble on for several weeks, but already there was a report in The Athletic that, that indicated that Manchester City would be willing to pay kind of a million, uh, a million, a hundred million pounds, <laughs> plus Gabriel Jesus and Bernardo Silva and one other, I can't remember who the third Eric player Kelsey, was. I yeah, and... They're all very good players, um, and it obviously helps that Eric Garcia is Spanish and is inevitably going to be in the national team at some point. He's a very good player. And also, you'd be getting Lionel Messi's wages off your books. Mm. And if it is the case that Messi's wages are so high that it has kind of hamstrung the club, you could then go into, perhaps not this season because it will be a transitional year, but you'd perhaps go into the season after this, a totally different team with a much more balanced roster. Um, I say like a true American. Um, because you'd have your wages split across the team. You'd have better players across the pitch. You'd have a younger team. Of course, it's important to remember Lionel Messi is in his 30s. And again, we're not going to go with the FIFA kind of 
idea that as soon as you hit 30, you become a rubbish footballer. But it would make sense if, if you can cash in, whether it be 100 million, whether it be 150 million, whatever the figure is, there's going to be the money for it, whatever happens, and get three world-class or potentially world-class footballers and then not have to play Lionel Messi's wages. I don't see how Barcelona lose in that situation. Well, the way they lose is obviously they lose a, a massive chunk of their endorsements. I mean, the the big sell, I, this is a crazy statement because Barcelona are a huge club and were huge before Messi went there, but he is their star man. And he's going to bring in cash. I mean, it's, I think the Athletic reported that a lot of the contracts that are drawn up were for uh, sponsorships are very similar uh, type finishing periods as Messi's contract. So a lot of the sponsorship deals that have come in, and a lot of them actually looked at Messi's contract and thought, well, once he re retires or leaves, we don't want anything to do with the club because there's, there's not as much sell at, at that club. And I think another thing, I think Barcelona will look at what's happened to Real Madrid um, this year after losing Ronaldo. Um, I mean, Real Madrid are far from awful, but they're far from their best and far from the performances they was putting in whilst Cristiano Ronaldo is at the club. So if you're going to lose a player like that, you, I think they probably wanted a ready-made replacement coming through. And obviously they have Anzu Fati, who's kind of tipped to be like the next star for Barcelona. But there's even rumours that he doesn't want to be at Barcelona anymore. And what, he's only 17 or 18. So they're in a really tricky situation that they've got no long-term plan, which is, I think, maybe why they want that extra year. Maybe they want the year to plan with, uh, for like a period without Messi. Can you see Messi refusing to refusing to play if he does stay this season, if there isn't a move this summer? Can you envisage a situation where he literally says, well, I think I'm a free man. You think I'm still contracted to the club. So I'm just going to sit here in a beach in Argentina and just kind of chill out for the season. Um, finance is permitted. I think he will do that. But there, I guess there's a, a lot of these footballers obviously own massive houses and they've got mortgages to pay anyway. So it, it will be a finance thing, which is a crazy thing to say when you're earning that amount of money. But if he can financially back himself to do that, I don't, I don't actually think he'll return to Barcelona. But then again, is that kind of what Barcelona are hoping for? That the narrative then turns to Messi refusing to play. So then the fans start to hate him, which probably is in their thinking. Um, if they can kind of take some of the flack off themselves and pass it on to the player, then I think Barcelona are the kind of club to do that. Definitely. We've seen that before this year anyway. We saw it with kind of the Twitter campaigns against the players and the presidential elections and all this kind of thing. And I just feel like it's such a silly situation. Silly is a silly word to use, but it's just a ridiculous situation to find yourself in. This is the world's best footballer kind of still with, I don't have the numbers to hand, but with ridiculous output across the last decade. And you, you're arguing about kind of the future and the situation should have been simple. They should have appeased Messi earlier because you've had a number of years and a number of seasons where the balance of power in Spain and in Europe has been slipping away from Barcelona. It's been moving away. And we saw that as well with Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Real Madrid as well. And you've had a number of managers that Lionel Messi hasn't really wanted to play for. And you appoint Ronald Koeman. And again, this is a manager who Lionel Messi clearly isn't particularly infused by. And you just think, well, how did we get to this situation? Because throughout 
kind of the time we've spent watching football, it's been rare. And again, we've mentioned this, but it's been quite rare that Messi has kicked up a massive fuss. And whenever he has kicked up a massive fuss, it's basically been because he wants more money. And then kind of we have this two week, oh, Messi wants to leave saga. And then lo and behold, he signs a multi-year contract extension worth millions and millions of pounds. Um, But this time is different. And this is different because it's just got to breaking point. It's got to the point where Messi is like, I've just had enough of this nonsense. He's just looking at the club and saying, well, am I going to win a Champions League again? Potentially not. And Barcelona haven't won the Champions League since 2015, I want to say. And for a player as good as Lionel Messi, with teammates as good as the ones that he's got in the club, they probably should have won a Champions League since then. And they've just been totally off the pace. And kind of in terms of Messi's potential next club, there's one, I feel like at this point, one front runner and perhaps even just one candidate. Manchester City have been linked heavily with with Lionel Messi. Pep Guardiola reportedly saying to Messi that we'll do anything we can to get you to the club. Callum, is this a match made in heaven or hell? I mean, it's probably on paper it's a match made in heaven. I mean, after obviously Manchester City's uh, performance against Lyon, it all came back to Pep Guardiola once again. In a lot of people are saying that Pep Guardiola can't win a Champions League without Lionel Messi. So for Pep Guardiola, he's probably rubbing his hands together, going, "Fucking brilliant! Like I, I could get a Champions League at Man City. Everyone forgets it if Messi comes here." But it's you just said Messi wants to go and win another Champions League, and obviously the two clubs probably can afford him are PSG and Man City and PSG sound like they're ruling themselves out of a move. Neither of them have won a Champions League. I mean, Man City haven't got to a semi-final it's in years. So it's a, it's a really strange move. And I'm not saying that Man City are in a worse position than Barcelona because I think Barcelona are in all sorts of trouble. Um, so, but Man City is a really odd choice. Um, and you've got a feel sometimes for the players like Phil Foden, because obviously David Silva left the end of the season. And obviously Phil Foden was probably sitting there thinking, brilliant, I'm going to get a season where I get to have a breakthrough year, get to kind of cement my place in the England team before the Euros. And if you bring in Lionel Messi, he's going to sit there for another season doing nothing. So, you, I don't know. Is there, is there something about bringing a 34-year-old for a season on a mega wages it's got it's got to go really really right for manchester city otherwise it can ruin pep guardiola's reputation and also man city this is going to be a random comment but there used to be a tennis game that i played it was either ps2 or ps3 where the number of times you hit the ball back and forth across the net you'd gain kind of power points and then it was it was meant to be a realistic simulation of tennis, but you'd, you'd kind of grow this bar at the bottom to like indicate that you're just kind of getting near to an accomplishment. And once you filled the bar, basically it just gave you one shot where the other player just couldn't hit it back. I don't know what game you're talking about. It, I think we probably played it together. And yeah. it just feels like this is that situation for Manchester City. It's like if we don't win the Champions League with Lionel Messi in our squad and with Pep Guardiola, who proclaims to be the best manager in the world, or kind of his advocates claim is the best manager in the world, then we've got a seriously kind of bad situation at the Etihad because we're meant to be the next dominant force in Europe. We're meant to be one of these superpowers. And there's this is a tangent, but I'm going to go there anyway. There, there was a really <laughs> funny Reddit post that I saw that basically said that the Premier League should sign Lionel Messi yeah. and then he should be shared among the clubs 
and then they wouldn't be given previous knowledge that Nessie was going to be on the on the team and they just turn up in the dugout and that kind of thing. Um, it's <laughs> quite spectacular. Do you, Callum, do you think Messi could go anywhere but Manchester City at this point? Um, no, like, I don't think there's anybody that is financially able to. Obviously, we could have been in a crazy situation if the Newcastle takeover had gone through where Messi could have genuinely ended up at Newcastle as one of their marquee signings. But that's not going to happen. So, as I said, only PSG and Man City can afford him. And it doesn't sound like PSG wants to do it. So, yeah, for me, I can't see any other team apart from Man City. I said, I, I texted you this the other day. My dream move for Messi would obviously be uh, to Napoli. I think that would be kind of romantic. Obviously, Maradona moved from Barcelona to Napoli um, and basically became god over there before knocking um, Italy out of uh, the World Cup. Um, so it kind of been quite poetic that Argentina's two best ever players would have ended their careers or played some of their career in Napoli. Um, but I don't think that will ever happen. I don't think Napoli are ever going to be in a financial position to do that. But yeah, for me, I can't. I think if he does move, it will be to Man City. But uh, from what I'm kind of reading and hearing, I don't think I don't think Barcelona are going to sell him. I think they'll just have a player at their club that wants to move on. Yeah, it's it's tricky to see how this ends because you've got two parties that have totally juxtaposing positions who want totally juxtaposing things and of course ultimately Lionel Messi has the power in this situation because if Lionel Messi refuses to play then he's just not going to play he's just going to sit on a beach in Barcelona or he's going to sit on a beach in Argentina and watch the Copa Libertadores or whatever he wants to do or perhaps he'll go and buy a stake in Chicago Fire <laughs> um th- there's always a way of getting MLS into a conversation the point well, we've got is, to talk about the new EFC bit if we're talking about um, potential MLS because that is that's a talk that Messi at one point in his career does want to go over to the MLS for his final years and obviously the Manchester City owners own New York City FC and we've had this discussion and I'll, I'll let you kind of explain more is that something we will be able to see that in his if he does move to Man City he'll have a part of his contract will be in X amount of years you will move to New York City FC it's the most depressing thought I've ever heard um, the idea that Lionel Messi would play for NYCFC. And let me explain why. Um, because when New York City FC launched into MLS, I was really excited about the team. I, I mean, it, it was 2014, so we were really young at the time. But the idea of having this big team in New York, kind of these star players at a, a new glamorous stadium in kind of the coolest city in North America, or kind of as as people would argue, that sounds really exciting. That sounds great. And it's backed by Manchester City. They're going to sign all these really good players. They're going to bring through youngsters. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And then you're going to see all these MLS players coming over to England, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, NYCFC have have gone pretty substantially downhill in recent years. Since they had Patrick Vieira at the helm and Dome Tarant to a lesser extent, it's kind of the footballing side of things this year has been pretty nasty. They've got Ronnie Dyler in charge, formerly of Celtic. The biggest sticking point with NYCFC is the fact that they play at Yankee Stadium, which means they play at a stadium which is predominantly a baseball stadium, which means the pitch is pretty rubbish. The kind of television experience is pretty rubbish because you just have this weird situation where there's nothing behind the pitch at like one of the ends. 
and obviously the spectating situation at the stadium not great because you're so far away from the pitch because you're kind of at third base um it's difficult to imagine that Lionel Messi would agree to play his final year of professional football soccer on a baseball field and I just have major concerns and imagine it did happen and imagine Lionel Messi goes to NYCFC for this one song year and everyone is like so hyped up about Messi playing there and the world is watching and it's like a three o'clock afternoon kickoff. Everyone's watching New York City FC take on Sacramento Republic. And in the third minute, Lionel Messi trips over and breaks his ankle because the pitch is pretty narrow. It's just a horrible advert for MLS. And if he goes to MLS, and I would absolutely love to see Messi, Ronaldo, people like this in MLS, they please, please, please go to a soccer-specific stadium, go to Atlanta United, go to Columbus, go to LAFC, go where you need to go, go to LA, LA Galaxy, go to a team that is brave enough and bold enough to actually put pen to paper and build a stadium. And I say this as a West Ham fan, so I, I see the irony. But yeah, Lionel Messi, please don't go to NYCFC. Yeah, that, that's one of our first tangents probably out of the way. Um, something I just want to touch on as well. Obviously, um, when the news first got announced that Lionel, Lionel Messi had bureau faxed his uh, transfer request in, which first of all is one of the most bizarre things come in 2020 that Barcelona do not use email, um, is the fact that obviously club legend Carlos Puyol came out uh, and basically tweeted something along the lines of, I respect your decision and actually I'm behind you. Which first of all was very strange. Obviously, Carlos Puyol is viewed as like Barcelona's best ever defender. But the more interesting fact is that Luis Suarez, who is co obviously currently on the Barcelona roster, tweeted back to Carlos Puyol with three clapping emojis. So part of the story coming out of Barcelona and a lot of sources are saying is that two things have kind of pushed Messi over the edge. The first was the, the how close friend Luis Suarez has been treated, basically told by Ronald Koeman over the phone, supposedly, that he has no uh, belonging at the club and will be moved on, which Messi found, I mean, pretty disgusting, I think, uh, from what we're hearing. But And then the second part is that Ronald Koeman came in and tried to assert his dominance and supposedly told Lionel Messi that he's not going to get the privileges that he has had in recent seasons. And... I'll be honest, uh, I'm not a massive Barcelona fan. I do not like the way the club is run. Um, and it's probably something to do with them coming and stealing Liverpool players from, from us many times. But um, the way that I view Barcelona is, I don't think Barcelona at the moment is run as if it is a football club. It's very much run like a business. And obviously, Messi and Suarez are very similar ages, but with Messi, you have the uh, the marketing mechanism to use, whereas Luis Suarez, not marketable at all for fair reason. But Barcelona seems to treat players like once that you are redundant as an asset, you're basically a little bit of shit on their shoe that they can fling away. And I think this is actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm quite happy that Messi is kind of doing this to Barcelona because it will show them up a little bit and make them have to change the, the way they act in transfer situations, the way treat, they treat players. So for me, I think this is actually a really great move by Lionel Messi to call out the club. But it will be interesting to see if it does actually change the way that Barcelona is run. And to be honest, at the moment, it doesn't seem like it is. It seems like it's doing the opposite and it's making it worse. They're basically holding the player hostage. 
um, who clearly doesn't want to be there. Um, so it'll be really interesting in the future to see if this does change Barcelona from a wider perspective. But uh, I mean, I don't know if you kind of feel the same. Yeah, I think Barcelona have a true reputational issue now. Um, I remember when we were younger, um, Barcelona was always sponsored by UNICEF and Barcelona had this really positive image about being this club that did things the right way. And this was at the peak of kind of a homegrown Barcelona squad, kind of something that we haven't really seen at the elite European level for quite a while, kind of since the class of 92. You had Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, Puyol, um, so on and so forth in this team. And it felt like a real family. It felt like Barcelona did things the right way. Um, and now you have the situation where it's been entirely commercialised and they've kind of lost this sense of what made Barcelona a team that many people kind of looked up to across the world. And previously, it was quite easy to draw a distinction between Real Madrid and Barcelona. There was a clear difference in values. And now Barcelona just kind of look like a tin pot Real Madrid in the sense that they are both, as you say, they're both run like a business. Uh, the difference is Real Madrid is run like a good business and Barcelona at the minute seems to be run kind of like a Apple and pear store in Dagna Market. It's just a bit random. It's just like, why are we considering releasing Luis Suarez with, I don't know how many years left on his contract, one, I'd assume. It's, it's just a bit odd because Lionel Messi is a player that you can have around and have bring off the bench and kind of mentor Fatty and kind of the other young players that they've got on the team. And this is a Barcelona squad that isn't terrible. I mean, it's pretty obviously a very good squad. Kind of, if you look at the options they've got, they've got kind of Dembele, who's had loads of injuries, but is fundamentally a good player. They've got um, Frankie de Jong. They've got Busquets, who is still one of the best defensive midfielders you could possibly have in a team. And it's just like, if Barcelona approached this sensibly it wouldn't be such as an issue. But Barcelona are approaching this so pig-headedly that they just look like a deer in the headlights. And the situation that they've now found themselves in is because they've been so stubborn with Messi and because they've been like, oh no, we're Barcelona, we're great, we're just going to do this how we want to do this. They've now totally alienated the, the one, as you say, commodity that in modern terms made Barcelona great. Lionel Messi is the crown or rather the jewel to the crown that Barcelona represents. And losing him would be a spectacular blow. And I'd say kind of perhaps even an existential blow to what Barcelona think they are. Because at the minute, they don't look like a grand club. They kind of look like a club fighting for their lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Barcelona have been kind of falling apart for years. I think some of the appointments they've had of coaches have just been awful. And it's just down to the way that that club set up probably from the president down that they don't seem to understand the modern football anymore. They're, they're kind of picking these old coaches that play a pretty boring, redundant style of football nowadays, rather than going for a new progressive manager um, that they could, when they sacked um, Valverde, they could have easily gone for someone like Nagelsmann um, who probably would have come in and probably set that club up for a, really nice future and I think the, we've seen with him at Leipzig that he's a great manager and he's doing that with a much lesser budget I mean it's still a pretty large budget over there but it's a much lesser budget than you get at Barcelona um, but something I just want to touch upon that I think is a really interesting argument from a Premier League perspective obviously 
if Messi does come to Manchester City, a lot of people are claiming that Messi will be the best player to ever play in the Premier League. Can that be argued already when he hasn't even stepped foot on a Premier League pitch or does he have to go and prove it in the Premier League? Um, it depends how you judge these things because, I mean, the gut reaction says, yes, Messi will be the best player to ever play in the Premier League because he is, in my opinion, the greatest footballer of all time behind Mark Noble and Carlos Tevez. Um <laughs> But obviously, yeah, you do have to come to the Premier League and prove it. Like, if he comes to the Premier League and Man City have a bit of a shocker and he doesn't score 20 goals, you then look like a bit of a mug. So I'd say that Messi just needs to have, i say just, he needs to be one of the best players in the Premier League this season or next season rather to prove worthy of that accolade. I don't think he would need to post record-breaking numbers to be considered as that because, I mean, his whole body of work throughout his career is just better than anything that any other Premier League player has achieved. You look at who are the players that we talk about as being the best in Premier League history. We talk about Thierry Henry. We talk about... Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, Cristiano Ronaldo. But people don't talk about Cristiano Ronaldo necessarily for what he did at Man United. They talk about him mainly as a Real Madrid player. Um, So again, I, I personally wouldn't throw Ronaldo in that direction anyway. And again, I probably wouldn't throw Messi in that direction because, as you say, it will be one year, two year maximum in the Premier League for Messi. And it's pretty hard to judge it that way. I think in terms of actual quality and kind of how good you are as a footballer, technically Messi would be the best player ever because he is just that good. In terms of what they mean to the Premier League and what they do in the Premier League, then categorically no, it will be someone like Alan Shearer. Yeah, I mean... For me, uh, this is going to probably sound really random, but if you stuck Pele in the Premier League right now, obviously in his day was probably one of, was one of the best players ever in the Premier League. But you, if you stuck him in now, obviously he's not going to be, he, and he wouldn't be able to prove it. So for me, I, I think I agree. I think he'll have he's not going to have to do anything record breaking. I mean, you just look at what happened with Jordan Henderson this year. He, he didn't his stats weren't great, but he was given Premier League Player of the Year. And a lot of people were agreed with that. So if Messi can come in and just kind of show off his skill and what he can do for a team like Man City, then there's no argument that he's the best player to ever play in the Premier League. I just think he does obviously need to prove that. I don't think you can come in and immediately take that crown. Yeah. And what I find quite interesting as well about the whole Messi situation is where would you play him? And okay, we're going to work, if we're working on the assumption that he's going to go to Manchester City. Um, Aguero, if he's fit, is obviously the striker. You then have Sterling playing on the left-hand side. Um, and then, kind of, where does Messi fit? Because you've got people like Phil Foden, who potentially want to play as the number 10. And then you've also got the other situation where, even if you play Messi as the number 10, does that suit Manchester City? Because a, a big reason why City weren't as good as Liverpool last season was because, kind of, they played this 4-2-3-1 out of possession and the pressing was pretty useless because the 4-2-3-1 didn't work as a pressing system. And then kind of you compare that to the 4-3-3 Liverpool went for and it worked completely differently. So if you put Messi as, as a number 10, then you sacrifice the defensive side of the game. If you put him in as your right winger, um, again, you're going to lose something defensively, but that might work better for City. The, the last thing I'll say on this as well is you have... 
there was a there was a graph I saw of Kevin De Bruyne's defensive actions, which basically was half of kind of the right hand side of the pitch, pretty much from box to box on the right hand side. And then you had Lionel Messi's, which just about went from the box to the halfway line on the right hand side. And I think that would be a fascin- fascinating partnership if you had kind of De Bruyne as the box to box number eight creative player and then Messi out on on the right. What do you make of that? I mean, yeah, I think a lot of questions are asked over kind of Messi's output in a defensive sense. Well, I mean, it's kind of crazy to say, but you saw it against Bayern Munich. He's clearly not a player anymore that wants to press uh, a football, doesn't want to win the ball back like he did in his heyday because he probably can't do it anymore. So it'll be really interesting to see how he does fit into that team. Um, Obviously, yeah, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of... they had on the right this year, it kind of swapped between Riyad Mahrez, um, Bernardo Silva, and then sometimes even Gabriel Jesus could have kind of slot out there. So you are going to hinder some of these younger players and even Ferran Torres, who's come into Man City this summer. Um, it's going to hinder some of their progression. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how Messi gets into that side. And as you said, their midfield, their midfield was immensely attacking this season. That is Man City's game. But if you're going to have Lionel Messi not dropping anywhere below the halfway line, you're going to have either you're going to have to have Rodri or Fernandinho in midfield, uh, kind of like sweeping up. So you, they're going to have to sacrifice some of their attacking football. But is an aging Fernandinho or Rodri going to be able to do that for a whole season? I don't know. So maybe if they do sign Lionel Messi, they're probably going to have to go out and get another CDM, um, which I mean. Hopefully they don't go for Thiago because that, oh, and I'm not going to start on that because I'll go off on a on a massive rant about that. But um, I feel like it would see a massive change in strategy to kind of how City would play because you'd have to accommodate to a player that doesn't want to drop back defensively. Yeah, I agree. But what I would say on that is, if you sign Lionel Messi, do you want him to drop back defensively? I I wouldn't. That would really annoy me. It's like yeah. okay, lesser example. This is going to be the last thing I say about this. But kind of when West Ham had Dimitri Payet, and again, I've, I've not made a Dimitri Payet comparison for a long time, <laughs> but Payet was unbelievable, but he didn't defend. He just kind of stood in the left wing, got the ball, dribbled past six people and then scored or took a free kick and scored. That was kind of the inevitable outcome. And I just think kind of if you sign a player that good, you don't really want them wasting their time defending. And I think it just has to be a case of Guardiola sitting down and thinking, well, how do we make this work? And if Guardiola is even half the manager that people think he is. He would have been spending the past five years, 10 years, 20 years thinking about how he would fit Lionel Messi into a system, which means that he doesn't have to run. And if he can't come up with a system that makes that work, then Guardiola is not the manager we think he is, because quite frankly, you should be able to come up with a system where one player doesn't have to defend if it's Lionel Messi. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, but I don't, I don't have any doubt that Guardiola will be able to do that, to be honest. I think, you could you could stick Messi on and literally give him free kicks and penalties and corners and he'd probably do a job and get plenty of goals and plenty of assists. So it doesn't really matter. Um, this kind of leading on to, I think, kind of our second topic. Um, this is kind of looking at it from a fantasy Premier League perspective. Um, I think the highest um, valued player this season is around 30 million, 12 million. I think it's either Kane or Bamiyang. Um where do you think Lionel Messi comes into that? Do you think he 
pushes that bracket up or do you think like we kind of said he kind of have to prove his worth in the premier league before we can put him in i mean he's got to be the most expensive player or at least tired most expensive player whether or not they make him i think kane would be 12 million whether they make him 12.5 is interesting but yeah whatever happens he just simply has to be the most expensive player or at least tired because he he would be the best player and it just kind of makes sense but yeah i mean Okay, on fantasy, would you have Messi in your team? That's all I'm going to ask you. Okay, okay. Say, he's, he's, say he's 12.5 million, would you, would you have him? Uh, 12.5 million, 100% I'd have him. I mean, we'll go through our teams and kind of our predictions um, for like the first round of fixtures and kind of the full season in a second. But in my team at the moment, I have a Bamiyang in midfield who's 12 million anyway. And I mean, if I'm going to have Messi or a Bamiyang, I'm going to have Messi every day of the week for 0.5 million more. Um, I, I think, I think against some of the lesser teams that kind of sit back in like a deep block, I think Messi would just pick that lock so easily. So I don't. I, I think if he comes, I think it would be stupid for you not to put him into your fantasy team. But I'm sure there's some people that won't because they like going for a little bit of a difference and trying to pick up like points with random people. But yeah, for me, I can't. You can't not put Lionel Messi in your team. I think it would be a no-brainer. I think Messi would automatically become the most picked player kind of ever. Um, yeah, I, I think it's hard not... It would be very difficult not to pick Lionel Messi, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. Um, are there any players currently in the Premier League that you've already kind of nailed down as saying, this is the guy who's just going to be in the team all season long? Um, I'm going to start with my probably my most rogue shout for the season. Um I've had this discussion with quite a few people and a lot of people have raised their eyebrows at this decision, but the person I think who is going to do massively well for Liverpool this season is Naby Keita. And I mean, he's a sniff at 5.5 million on um, uh, FPL this year. And if you, uh, if you watched the community shield yesterday, or you watched any of Liverpool's kind of last fixtures uh, at the end of last season, Naby Keita was by far and away Liverpool's best player. I mean, yesterday when he came on against Arsenal, him and Minamino completely changed the game. Um, I, th- I think I think Vinaldum's time, to be honest, that Liverpool is up, and I hate to say that because he's been a great player, but he's gone two years without an assist, which is absolutely ridiculous for a player that is playing in this attacking Liverpool side. So I think Naby Keita will come in and should take Vinaldum's place in that team this season. And Vinaldum obviously played uh, the most minutes in the Premier League out of any player last season. So if Naby Keita can stay fit for a full season, I think this will be the season where he breaks through and I think his price will skyrocket in FPL this year. Potentially, yeah. I, I think, I mean, the obvious pick is De Bruyne. I just love having De Bruyne in my team because he's just ridiculous and he always gets points. Um, are there any goalkeeper picks that stand out to you? Because someone that I'm really tempted, it's such a shame that they're going to sell him. Um, if if Martinez was staying at Arsenal, he would be my shoe-in number one all season long because he is so, so impressive. Um, again, this is a slight tangent, but if you were Chelsea and Arsenal were apparently asking for £20 million for Martinez, would you buy him? 100%. I mean, uh, I can't remember who it was yesterday. Is Martin Keogh might have been saying that he thinks Emi Martinez is actually a better keeper than Bernd Leno. And I mean, Arsenal fans absolutely rave about Burn Leno. I think, I think he's a great keeper, but there's no way Arsenal should even think about selling him at this moment in time because since he's come in, he's performed exceptionally well. And I mean, 
there should be so many Premier League teams that are sniffing around him because he's just he's great and he seems like a great guy to have in your dressing room too. But yeah, hundred percent, Chelsea should be all over him. He, we spoke about this a couple uh, a bit on a previous podcast, and obviously they spent seventy five to eighty million on Kepa, um, which is ridiculous. So they're going to have to kind of change their strategy on a keeper. Um, they're being linked with a fair few keepers at the moment, but kind of in a 20 to 30 million bracket. And obviously one they've been linked with is Nick Pope, but I don't think they'll get him that cheap. Um, and if you can get Martinez, who's kind of now proven himself as a really nice Premier League keeper, then go for him. Yeah, I agree. I think he's such a good goalkeeper. He's a really good shot stopper. He's everything Chelsea need. Um, Chelsea ultimately needs someone who's just not going to dip below their expected goals conceded because Ariza Balaga last season was absolutely ridiculously bad. So you have someone halfway competent and it's enough because Chelsea have made really interesting sign. I love Chelsea's business and I've, I've said this for kind of a couple of weeks now, kind of bordering on a month, that I think Chelsea could genuinely be one of the best teams in the league next year and kind of be up there with Man City and Liverpool, probably a little bit off the pace of those two, but I think they're probably the third best team at the moment because Thiago Silva in that Champions League final was ridiculously good. He's 36 and he was one of the best players on the pitch. He will struggle with pace, but depending on who you put him with and depending on what the system looks like, it could work. Um, I think Christian Pulisic, given the fact he's hopefully going to have a slightly more um, consistent season in terms of being picked in the starting lineup, I think Frank Lampard now recognising that he's basically one of the best attacking players he's got which will be exciting. And then obviously Timo Werner, who I think from an FPL perspective is going to be massively overhyped potentially. But again, you're playing against, if you're playing against a team that plays a high line and you have Timo Werner running in behind, even if sometimes people criticise Werner's finishing, even if he misses two big chances a game, he's probably going to get the third one. And I just feel like Chelsea have a really exciting team for next season. Yeah, you, we are. We spoke about it, I think, when they lost to West Ham at the end of last season. And I said that at, the moment, at that moment in time, Manchester United worried me more in terms of title challengers than Chelsea. I'll rescind that comment right now. I think the business that Chelsea have gone out and done is exceptional. I mean, Kai Havertz is one of my favourite players in the Bundesliga and that deal looks like he's about to go through. I think, I think Arsenal really missed the boat on Hakim Ziyech the year before. I think Arsenal should have been all over him. Um, as you said, Thiago Silva is a superb defender and he's really what Chelsea have been missing in their defence for years. Ever since John Terry left, um, they replaced him with probably Gary, Gary Cahill and Gary Cahill was not a leader in the terms that John Terry was. So Thiago Silva can immediately come in and be that kind of leader in the defence that Chelsea have been looking for. And if they pair him up with uh, Zuma, I don't, I don't think that'll be too bad. I think Zuma's got the legs to kind of cover Thiago Silva when he can't make runs. But as we saw in the final, Thiago Silva's clearly one of the best defenders in the world still. And I think I think kind of as once you as you just said, the Werner thing's very interesting in terms of if you're going to pick him FPL. I mean, I've got him in my team. I've been umming and ahhing about having him in my team. And I think yesterday when he scored within three minutes against Brighton kind of like solidified my decision. I think that Chelsea signing all point to Lampard playing attacking football with, without thinking about defence, it kind of 
goes back to Kevin Keegan's teams where it was, we'll score more than you rather than defend. We'll just outscore you. So I think the way Chelsea will set up, they'll just literally put all their attacking players on the pitch at once. And I think, I think Werner will, uh, I think he'll kick off straight away. I've got to hope he does because it's, it's not a cheap option to have in your team if it does go wrong. But for me, I think Werner should be one of the top picks. And he's not actually overpriced for a new signing. I mean, 9.5 million, not, not awful. So there's definitely worse people out there. So Callum, in goal, who are you going with this season? Um, see, I'm one of these people that doesn't like going over the top in terms of price um, on goalkeepers. So at the moment, I've kind of set my two as Alex McCarthy from Southampton and Matt Ryan from Brighton. I think I'll kind of stick with them two and kind of switch them out depending on fixtures. Yeah, I agree. I always go as cheap as possible with goalkeepers and normally I just go with a kind of set and forget approach I just have normally 4.5 million and a 4 million who just doesn't play and then just save the money that way um at the minute I'm undecided so I've got McCarthy and Casilla so Southampton and Leeds United um I'll make a decision close to time to be honest that I was going to set my team kind of in more final terms before the podcast, but I didn't have time. Um, but yeah, they're the two I've gone for at the minute. My defensive options, um, I've had to change because um, Nathan Ferguson's injured, um, I've just seen, so I've had to take him out. Um, my defence at the moment is Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> Trent Alex. <laughs> the, new, the new Liverpool right-back, Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> um, kind of... In defence, I've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. I've got Salabia from Arsenal. Got Ben Johnson from West Ham. Um, recently to Tottenham, I've got Doherty. And also in defence, I've got Kieran Gibbs at West Bromwich Albion. I Basically, I go cheap in defence. And there's lots of really good cheap options this year. So you've got um, Salabia, who's only 4 million. Ben Johnson's only 4 million. I think he'll probably start for West Ham. It's looking like a toss-up between him and Fredericks. Um, Doherty at Tottenham is cheap for six million for for a defender who's going to start for a top six team. I think that's pretty good. And again, Gibbs is only four million at, at West Brom as well, and he's another player that's going to play. And of course, Trent Alexander Arnold is just irreplaceable. And I know he's not a differential, and everyone has him, but sometimes just go for the mainstream option is basically my approach there. Um, Callum, your defence. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I think most people are going to go with Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, obviously, attacking output is exceptional. And then Liverpool's defensive record speaks for itself, really. So I don't think you can really go without him. Um, then one, uh, I've gone for Matt Doherty as well. I obviously picked him when he was at Wolves, but I'll stick with him at um, Tottenham. I, I think if you've watched any of Tottenham's kind of pre-season friendlies, they've looked really exciting. They've played a five-back formation and... Jose Mourinho is even training Gedson Fernandez as a right back, which kind of tells you the way they was looking at setting out this season. They was going to put five at the back with wing backs that pushed forward. And I said, I've actually been lucky enough to um, kind of watch the Amazon documentary, the first three episodes for Tottenham. And something that really struck me was that uh, Mourinho really emphasises his fullbacks um, at half time in one of his games in the Champions League. I think it's against Olympiacos. He basically said to Aurier, forget about defending. You just need to go forward. And we saw in that game, Aurier had a massive impact. So I think if Matt Doherty can kind of have that impact that Aurier has, I think he's a solid pick. Um, I've got Saliba as well. Saliba, 
is kind of there because I think he will start for Arsenal's defence uh, at some point in time. But not I don't know if he will at the moment. Obviously, he didn't start yesterday. Rob Holding was picked ahead of him, but Rob Holding looks like he might be on his way out. But I think Saliba's a good option to have. Very cheap and highly rated from League. Uh, and then my two are different to yours. I've gone for James Justin from Newcastle and Roman Vinagra from Wolves. So both of these, I think I will change out within the coming weeks. Basically, I've picked them because Leicester have lost their left back in Chilwell and James Justin can play either side. And I think he will be picked um, whilst Leicester look out for a replacement. And Vinagra, um, I think he'll start at left back for Wolves this season. I think they've got a few injuries in their defence and obviously lost Matt Doherty as well. So I think kind of the same with him. Uh, they're both really cheap options, both four and a half million. And I think both play in attacking teams. So I think kind of they're good options to have with a kind of good style. So Justin's got West Brom and Vinagra's got Sheffield United. So could see clean sheets for both of them in the first week. Yeah, I, th I think there's so much good value in defence this year. Um, lots of them are starting at 4 million, 4.5 million. So it's just a case of picking people and hoping the value increases. And as I say, there's lots of opportunity to get players who are going to grow throughout the season. I think Ben Johnson is a really good pick. Um, and I'm, I'm sticking with him regardless of West Ham start. I had um, Suchek in my midfield because he's only 5 million. Um, and I think both of those from West Ham will increase throughout the season because they're two really good players and they're really cheap and they'll play. So it just seems to make a lot of sense for me. Um, midfield for me is still a work in progress because I've, I've kind of been shuffling around the players as we speak. Um, at the moment, and again, this accounts for, well, doesn't account for the fixtures. I've got De Bruyne, uh, Manchester City, Hoiberg at Tottenham, Neves from Wolves and Salah at Liverpool. On the bench, I've got Dow Stevens because again, he was only 4.5 million and He's, he's all right. He plays. It's good enough for my kind of fifth choice midfielder. Callum, who have you gone for? Um, so obviously you'd already know one of mine. He's Naby Keita. And I won't explain any more on him. Um, and you've got, I, I don't know if this is just because you haven't looked at it since kind of the fixtures got announced, but you've seemed to have gone for the tactic where you're going to get your Manchester City and Manchester United players in and not worry about changing them. Whereas for me, I'm going to try and go for maximum points on week one and kind of set my sights out to future weeks in uh, transferring players out. So I've gone all out in midfield. I've got a Bamiyang, uh, obviously one of the highest uh, um, priced players in the game. Um, I mean, his goals record last season was exceptional. Uh, I don't know why he's been put into midfield. I think putting a Bamiyang in midfield could is going to be a steal this season, to be honest. I think. Arteta's Arsenal look very defensively solid. So if he picks up clean sheet points from midfield and he'll get he'll get you goals and obviously the midfielders score more goals. So I think Abamyang um, for now is a really great pick. And then my other two that I've gone for in the first week as my starting two, uh, starting four is Alan St. Maximan from Newcastle, who I think I spoke about pretty much on every single episode of this podcast. I, I just love the guy. I think he I think he's an amazing footballer. He's someone that is fairly cheap for the um, kind of way that he plays, 5.5 million. I think he, he'll he get a, enough attacking output next season in the Newcastle side that I actually think will probably struggle in terms of actual league. But I think there's always, if a team ends up going down, there's always like one player that has like a really standout season. And for me, I think that'll be Alan St. Maximan. 
And then the first week I'm going to go with Hyungmin Son. I mean, speaks for itself. The guy is probably, in my eyes, Tottenham's best player, which I think a lot of people probably argue. But I think Hyungmin Son's a great pick and kind of gives me that leeway to, in a couple of weeks, take him out and replace him and downgrade him to maybe like Mason Greenwood. And then that gives me the cash to get in Kevin De Bruyne when Aubameyang's fixtures kind of don't suit what I want to do. So, yeah, they're, they're the ones I've gone for. But on my bench, just a, a cheap option. I've gone for Stuart Armstrong from Southampton. I mean, really cheap. 5.5, um, but last season, 98 points. I mean, can't ask for much more. And in the Southampton side, it actually looks really, really good under Ralph Hasenhutl, um last season after their drubbing at uh, Leicester. Yeah, there's some really interesting picks in midfield. Um, you spoke about the Man City, Man United situation. Of course, they're not playing to start the season. That also affects teams like Burnley as well. Um, the the thing with De Bruyne and Aubameyang, what I'm probably going to do, I'll probably take out De Bruyne and then put Aubameyang in just for a couple of weeks and then get De Bruyne in. And they're such an easy switch because they're both 12 million. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking of doing. Was my rationale there? And I think that's just the easy thing to do. If not... If for some reason Liverpool start the season badly, then again, you can just drop Salah and bring in Aubameyang or De Bruyne. They're quite an easy switch to do. Um, what does concern me slightly, and as I say, I've been doing this kind of while we record the podcast since I'm not totally organised with my fantasy team, is Spurs play Everton on the opening game of the season. And... I quite like Everton's business and what they're talking about doing this season. They're talking about James Rodriguez, which is just, just ridiculous. Um, but they're linked with a number of properly decent players. They're linked with Allen from Napoli as well. And I feel like Everton should be the team that Everton have meant to be for the last number of years. I think they could challenge to kind of be best of the rest with Wolves and Leicester, or perhaps even higher if there's teams kind of above them who falter. Um, so I, I have some concerns about having Tottenham players in my team, although I do think Tottenham will probably win anyway, but just kind of a, a slight moment of indecision on my part. Um, my, my problem with Everton is is kind of what I said about Chelsea. Everton's attack, I don't mind that. I, I mean, they've got Richarlison. I mean, Theo Walcott's not bad. Calvert-Lewin, I think, is a great player, and I think he's a great pick for FPL. Um, but their defence is what worries me. I mean, Pickford doesn't fill me with hope at all, I think. The fact he's been England's number one for years is a crime, to be honest. And they haven't really improved on their defence. Their best defender is obviously Digne, but Digne gets forward quite a lot without kind of centre-backs that are really, really resolute. So for me, I think there's goals to be picked up against Everton because they still haven't sorted out that defence. Yeah, I think I think it's complicated with Everton because they have such... A mixed team and it depends how Ancelotti sets up and again I can't believe we're talking about an Everton team managed by Carlo Ancelotti mm. that's just ridiculous um but if they go with the 4-4-2 that Ancelotti kind of used throughout his time in Italy in um Syria you could see the situation where they're quite compact in midfield they're quite compact in defense and they kind of just play this style of football that is quite defensively solid and they become greater than than the sum of their parts um, at the other end of the spectrum, you could have a situation where Everton just remain fairly useless at defending, concede lots from set pieces, and Jordan Pickford once again looks like a bit of a mug. Um, so it, it, it's a case of seeing how their season unfolds. Up front, I have gone... I'm actually quite confident with my strikers. Um, I'm normally not, but again, there's opportunities to switch things around. I've got Timo Werner, who we've already spoken about. 
Um, Sergio Aguero, who I'll probably switch out before the start of the season, but he's, he's the player I'm thinking of committing to long term. And then finally, I have just kind of shifted my team about. So I've now got Kelechi Kiagnaccio up front. And the reason I've gone with him is because he's ridiculous value for a player uh, for a player at Leicester because he's, he's what, six million. Um, and he's, he's pretty good. And the thing is, you look at Leicester as well, Jamie Vardy is 33, 34, something like that. And I just feel like the fixture congestion this year is going to be a little bit crazy, um, especially with Leicester in the Europa League. And obviously it depends on how Rogers approaches kind of squad rotation and what he prioritises. But if Ignacio does play regular first team minutes in the Premier League, he could be a still at £6 million. I really do believe that. And it's quite a cheap way into an attack that should be comfortably in the top seven, eight spots in the league. Yeah, I, I, I think he is an interesting pick. I don't. Th- he obviously started at Man City and was kind of tipped to be like a great player. Um, but he's been here and there, I think, since going to Leicester. He hasn't really kicked on. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if he'll get into the team as much as kind of Vardy. And I think Iosi Perez kind of be picked over him. I think he's kind of preferred by Brendan Rodgers. But I mean, I don't know the pricing of uh, Iosi Perez. I don't know if he's the option to have. Um, and then just my team, obviously, yeah, we both got Werner. I think kind of his, re- his record in the Bundesliga kind of speaks for itself. And he's one of the most exciting um, signings this season. Then I've gone for... Danny Ings, who, I mean, kind of speaks for itself after last season. Danny Ings was an amazing um, asset to have in your fantasy Premier League team. But he's someone I actually think 8.5 is quite expensive, I think, for Danny Ings. And I think in a couple of weeks' time, I'll kind of drop him down. And the two players I'm kind of looking at dropping him down to are two young strikers. Um, Actually, there's three. So two from Southampton, I'll either downgrade him to Che Adams, who, depending on how he starts his season, or someone I actually like from Southampton and is a, is a local boy um, to where we live is Michael Oberfemi. I think he's actually, any time he plays Southampton, he's always in the box. He's kind of like a bit of a poacher. So there's always a chance that he'll grab you a goal. And as we saw against Chelsea last year, he can finish really well. Like he cut, on, cut inside and put it top bins in, at Stamford Bridge. And then someone... Super interested, I think, for this season is Ruben Brewster. I, I think, I think he'll stay at Liverpool now. I think the preseason he's had at Liverpool, uh, even after his pre- penalty miss yesterday, where I, I did feel really sorry for him. Uh, <laughs> Klopp brought him on about two minutes before the end, and he missed his penalty. But he's he's finishing in both the Championship last season and preseason this year. He's ridiculous. The, the kid just scores goals. Like give him any chance, and he'll score. So. Ruin Brewster, I think I'll I'll think about him, and if he gets some, there's rumours about him going on loan to Sheffield United, he will 100% be going in that team. 4.5 million for a starting striker at Sheffield United, scores goals, and in the Chris Wilder side, that will be set for me. And then my final one, I'm I'm setting up with a 3-4-3 three, three to start the season is Raúl Jiménez, and I think once it speaks for itself, had the best goal scoring uh, season for a Wolves player in the Premier League ever, and I mean. Raul Jimenez has been linked with many big moves away and he's just a great player. He he can score with his head, score with his feet and gets into play so he can get use some assist as well. And I think he's kind of undervalued this year. I think he's only 8.5 million. So I think that's a really, really nice price for him. You've got to think of it. He's the same price as Danny Ings. And I think Raul Jimenez is a better player than Danny Ings. So 
there's quite a lot of interesting players available kind of across the Premier League. There's, there's a couple I've just jotted down. Um, Eze just joined Crystal Palace. He's six million, um, which for me is too expensive for a player who had worse output than Jared Bowen in the Championship last season. The other one I've jotted down as well, who don't go near with a barge pole for the first six games of the season. Um, after that, maybe. Um, Deanne Garner at West Ham is only 5.5 million, which is quite interesting considering his price will probably fall in the earlier weeks of the season, especially if not if he's not in the starting eleven. But after that, he'll probably get opportunities because West Ham will be in a bit of a mess. He'll do all right, and he'll probably be quite a cheap option to have on the bench. Um, the other thing that struck me as well is that Leeds United have a ridiculously cheap team. Their most expensive player is six million, and you you look through um, Casillas four point five million. He'll start in goal. You've got um, Calvin Phillips is only five million. Roberts is five million. Patrick Bamford, who I did have, but I've kind of changed my team around. He's only five point five million. Um, and you'd imagine the players they signed yesterday aren't going to massively exceed six million, even if they do hit that much. And I feel like Leeds are probably a team that have potential to be pretty good going into this year. If if Bielsa can continue to do what he's been doing, Leeds United, in terms of their entire squad, look great value for money in terms of Fantasy Premier League this year. Yeah, I mean, I spoke about my opinion on Leeds before. I think Leeds will have an amazing season. I think top half is probably not beyond them. But it's just that first fixture against Liverpool. <clears throat> I mean... You'd expect Liverpool to kind of come out like they did last year against Norwich, kind of all guns blazing. So I don't really want to put any of the defenders in. And at this moment in time, I mean, the one I'd probably think about putting in is uh, Calvin Phillips. I think obviously he got his England call up this week too, and he looked great in the uh, uh, championship last season. But it's just, yeah, kind of seeing how they settle into the league. And I think I had this conversation with one of my friends earlier that we were discussing the signing of Rodrigo um, from Valencia and I, I like Rodrigo as a player I think he's an amazing player but his goals he's not a, he's basically not a striker that scores goals he he kind of links up into the build-up play a little bit more he can get maybe get you some assists but I think for, for now I don't think Rodrigo would be a good selection so um and then kind of we've got the perennial FPL question that seems to swing in and out of fashion every couple of years. Mitrovic is six million for Fulham. Um, how do you feel about that? I would not go near Mitrovic. I mean, I think a lot of people are, but he's had a season in Premier League after kind of having a season like he did last year in the Championship and didn't step up. And I think, to be honest, I think Fulham will be the, uh, the whooping boys this season. I think they'll go straight back down. I don't think they're strong enough. And I think. I like Scott Parker, but I think I have a feeling Scott Parker will be sacked this season. Yeah, I have quite a bad feeling about Fulham. Um, my gut feeling is they haven't really strengthened enough or kind of to a greater degree that is required. And you kind of compare them to the other teams that were promoted. You've got West Brom under Slavan Bilic, who, of course, is the greatest manager to ever live. And then you've got Leeds United, who went up with Marcelo Bielsa again, someone who's not kind of a stranger to managing in the top flight of kind of football in a major country. And I think they'll both probably do pretty well. Um, and I don't really get the fascination with Mitrovic because he's the kind of player who, who genuinely could get sent off at any moment. And he has done previously. 
And his scoring record in the Premier League isn't actually that amazing. And six million for a player who's probably going to be sat in a bottom half team is a pretty crazy investment. And to be fair to Fulham, there's some interesting players on the squad who might be an option. So you've got Kearney for 5.5 million. And then there's a number number of defenders at 4.5 million. They've got goalkeepers at 4 million and 4.5 million too. So, I mean, there could be smart money at Fulham, but I, I personally would be avoiding them with a barge pole. Um, Callum, who is your pick for 2021's um, Jonathan Lundstrom situation? <laughs> uh, oh, I, I really, I think Nathan Ferguson from Crystal Palace uh, could be a great pick. I, I think he's really good. I think kind of he has very, very kind of similar attributes to Wan Bissaka, but I feel like he's actually a little bit more sensible in his attacking so i actually think nathan ferguson could be a good shout uh especially at the price he's at yeah i agree i was i was upset to find out he was injured i'm not too sure how long he's out for um but he's definitely someone i want in the team kind of going forwards and again i mean i'm a bit of a hypocrite because i don't currently have any in my team but it, it feels essential to have burnley defenders in your squad, especially when Charlie Taylor is only 4.5 million, he got 84 points last season. And again, if you want kind of a more expensive option for Burnley, Tarkovsky is 5.5 million, Ben Mee is 5 million, and then Nick Pope in goal is 5.5 million. Somewhat surprisingly, Nick Pope was first in terms of points for Burnley last season. And someone else from Burnley who could be interesting is Dwight McNeil. He's 6 million, got 123 points last year. Anyone at Burnley who you fancy, or is this kind of a no-go zone? Um, it's not a no-go zone. I, I, I really like Burnley, but I just think there's better options out there. The, the one I would go with is maybe Dwight McNeil. I mean, he was linked to Juventus this summer, which would have been a mental transfer, but he's still very young. And he's he does look really good whenever he plays. So that would be the one I'd go for. Yeah, I think McNeil was a really interesting player. And... I I mean, whether or not this happens because he's a, a lower kind of end Premier League team remains to be seen. But I think he's someone who should be, by the end of the season, threatening to get in that England squad, especially if Burnley have a good season. He should definitely be kind of more involved in the under-21s, for sure. Um, do you have any more thoughts on fantasy football or are you just about kind of done on that front? Oh, I think we've just about covered it for now. I'm sure my opinions will change throughout the season and probably even in the next couple of weeks. Just the last question, but I think before we kind of round off this episode, is really quickly, if we're going to quickly set out our Premier League champions, uh, our surprise package for this season and the three teams get relegated, because I'm sure we'll go into this in further detail when Dan gets back from his travels. Just straight off the top of your head, first thoughts, who are you saying? Premier League champions, um, Liverpool... What were the other ones? The bottom three is going to be Fulham, Aston Villa, and Newcastle. And surprise package in terms of teams or players. Um, um, let's go team. We'll just go team. Let me let me look at the table. Let me have a think. Which you caught me totally off guard. <laughs> well, I'll go, I'll go through mine then. Uh, so. For me, I, I think Man City will take the title back. I think Pep Guardiola will get his men fired up. And, I mean, if Messi goes there, they 
should be far and away the favourites. Um, going down, I, I agree on both Fulham and Newcastle, but I would go with Crystal Palace as my third option. I, I don't know. I just have a feeling that Roy Hodgson will kind of tail off this year. I don't think Crystal Palace will go down, and then I think it won't be a surprise for anyone that I'll say Leeds will be my surprise package. It would. I would find it quite upsetting if Crystal Palace went down because I, I don't know why, but I have a weird soft spot for Roy Hodgson since he kind of returned to club management. And he's someone who's had such an interesting career. Like he's managed in Switzerland, he's managed in Syria, he's managed. I think he managed in Sweden or Norway. He like he's been around, um, and he clearly still loves the game, and he's clearly still pretty good at his job because you see lots of older managers who kind of fade into obscurity, and even people like Jose Mourinho. Like people question whether his methods still work. And you've got Roy Hodgson, who was potentially not going to be allowed to go to matches because he was too old, kind of during the coronavirus pandemic, kind of still doing his stuff. So I, I would be quite upset if, in what would probably be his final season, he got relegated. Um, surprise packages. I just, ah, oh, there's, po- there's a podcast about MLS I listen to called Extra Time. And they, because it's American, they always have to do these kind of like dark horses and who would be on your Mount Rushmore and all this kind of thing. And a lot of the time people pick out and say, oh, yeah, well, kind of LA Galaxy are my dark horses. And people are like, well, can they really be a dark horse? Um, I don't know. I feel like Leeds United is the obvious kind of dark horse pick. Um, and I don't know how kind of obscure I need to go. But I'm going to I'm going to go with Southampton as being the team that will surpass expectations because, as you say, Hassan Hutul is a ridiculously good manager for kind of the level that Southampton are at. And I think he'll probably step up into a bigger job at some point in the future. They've got a pretty good team. They've not lost anyone major this summer. And you look at the teams around them, you look at kind of Leicester, lost Ben Chilwell, um, it could be tricky for them. And again, Burnley aren't going to be as good as they were last year because I think the manager is just a bit pissed off of life in Lancashire. Um, Sheffield United inevitably won't be as good as they were last year because they were far, far too good last year for kind of being realistic. Um, who else were good last year? Wolves, I think, could probably be up there. And I think Everton as well. I think that's the conversation you're going to have. I think Everton, Leicester, Wolves and Southampton are probably the teams to look out for outside of the top six and then below them it's kind of anybody's game i i think it's obligatory for me to say that i'm i'm somewhat concerned about west ham <laughs> um but i'm sure we can cover that at another time i'm, I'm sure we will i'm sure we'll get into west ham at some point uh whether it be good or bad um yeah i, I reckon that just about wraps up this episode would you agree i would my final question um in a word should jack Grealish be in the england squad Oh, 100%. 100%. Okay. Why isn't Jack Grealish in the England squad? Uh, because he's, I think his discipline record and kind of what he's been up to uh, partying during lockdown and stuff like that, I think Southgate has a very uh, kind of resolute mindset on that he doesn't want bad eggs in his team, which I think is kind of, we haven't discussed it, but I think that the Harry Maguire situation will kind of mean that he's out of that England side for quite a while. Yeah. Um, to touch on Harry Maguire briefly, I'm quite uncomfortable. And of course, it's important to stay within the limits of what you can say about kind of ongoing legal proceedings. But I'm quite uncomfortable with the way that the press has reported Harry Maguire, a white captain of Manchester United, um, 
vis-a-vis Raheem Sterling buying his mum a house. Um, I, yeah. I think the press just, and I mean, the, the, and again, this isn't necessarily criticism of the fact there was a 25-minute interview on the BBC, um, but you wouldn't see that treatment if Harry Maguire was black. And well, I just feel well, like the... You definitely wouldn't. And I think it's fair to say that it's true because, I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi was accused of rape during, uh, during last season, which was dismissed but never saw an interview about that and actually never saw any apologies from newspapers. So, Yeah, I think there's a line, isn't there? I don't think you want kind of footballers to be able to have this soapbox to kind of attest that they haven't done anything wrong. But I think after the fact, there needs to be fair reporting. And the Harry Maguire situation is complex. And again, there's going to be a retrial or an appeal or whatever it is. Um, So there's only so much you can say about it. But kind of the media response to it is somewhat um uncomfortable to say the least what i would say about um jack Grealish, and we are really are going to finish the show now is i'm not sure it's a bad egg situation i think that might be part of it but i think kind of the bigger issue is the fact that gareth southgate just doesn't like floaty number 10s and you mm. see him being quite uncomfortable using um james madison who i think is probably the better number 10 yeah um so the idea that it picked Grealish and Madison in the squad when he doesn't really like playing someone in that role would be a little bit odd. Callum, any final thoughts? Basically, I'm looking forward to this season, but I I am dreading. I just have an awful feeling that we're going to put in a title defence similar to Chelsea 2013-14, but that's just me being sceptical. Well, on a note of scepticism, it's time to end another episode of the quote-unquote weekly pre-match pint my name has been luke james you can find me on twitter at luke james underscore 32 i've been joined by callum ison who you can find on twitter at ison callum very very complex and (laughs) edgy so on the day that lewis hamilton won the formula one once again we say goodbye stay safe keep voting that's not the right saying for this podcast beat your side (laughs) trap and we'll see you next week goodbye moscow